sometimes I think it's just so cool the way God weaves things together, you know. Um, Sean mentioned that he was a part of a medical mission team, and one of the doctors on that group, Dino Crognali, is actually a physician that we support directly from our church budget. And he works at the hospital that that girl was transported to to have her um, surgery on her heart at the Tenwick Hospital. Some of you may not know this, but in the last half year or so, the doctors in Kenya went on strike. The national doctors, the Kenyans, went on strike. And the only hospitals that were open in the country were the faith-based hospitals. And one of those was the one at Tenwick. And um, I got a, a, a newsletter from Dr. Krognali. Actually, he and his wife are both physicians that work at the hospital. And they, they said, you know, we, we have an emergency room that's set up for like seven or eight people, and we were servicing 30 people at a time. He said, and... and Forget the number of beds that we had in the hospital. We just put people wherever we could because those were the only hospitals that were open. And people came in droves, and they were able to save a number of lives through that journey where, where people would not. It was interesting things go. As soon as the doctors came off strike, then the nurses went on strike. So, but the hospital stayed open, so it wasn't quite as bad for them. But it's really neat the way God kind of weaves all that stuff together. So, you know, usually um, we... we we deal with messages in a series at Hope Chapel. We, we love to kind of paint what God's doing with a broad brush so we kind of see the continuity and the fullness of God's messages to us. But find ourselves here kind of at the end of the summer where we're, we're kind of waiting for the calendar to turn into the fall before we launch into a new series. And so we've had a chance just to do some standalone messages. And, and today is one of those. And I'm really grateful that we have the opportunity to kind of do just kind of a little bit of a touchdown on some issues that are really pretty strategic, pretty foundational, vital to our spiritual journey. And those are the issues of faith and prayer. And I'd love for you to grab a Bible and turn with me to Mark chapter 11. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, we always encourage you to do so. There'll be one right underneath your seat. And I think it's always powerful for you to be able to see the words in black and white, or in some of your cases, you'll have some red in it. And um, for, the words of Jesus will be in red for some of your Bibles. And I think it's really powerful for you to be able to see the words on, on your own. And so we're going to be in Mark chapter 11 today. And I have to tell you that, that this was not an easy passage for me. Somebody came up to me after the service and said, the first service and said, you know, oh, good message. And I said, oh, I thought it was terrible. <laughs> you know, because it's, it, this is one of those passages where it's really hard to tie it up in a nice little bow. It's, it's kind of messy. And God's been messing with my heart the whole way through. Because no matter how well I preach for the next 20 minutes, you're going to walk out of here with a lot of questions in your mind. Because we're, we're not going to be able to answer all the things that flow out of this teaching. And, and I got to tell you, I don't actually think that that's a bad thing. Because I think there's a lot of us that need to have some discussion with God about the things that we're going to consider from this passage of Scripture. Though there were many times due to the course of the week, I said, Lord, just can't you take me to another passage, right? And God just wouldn't give me any freedom from this. So Mark chapter 11, just so you have a little context before we read it, and I'm going to back up and go a little deeper into the context. But this takes place during the last week of the life of Christ. Mark chapter 11 starts with what we celebrate on Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry of Jesus. All the pilgrims are making their way to Jerusalem for the Passover meal and et cetera, and and Jesus arrives, and as he arrives there, kind of a parade just kind of breaks out, and everybody's celebrating, and then the week kind of unfolds, and in the middle of the week, we have the experience that we come across today, and 
Let me begin with verse 20 and just read down through verse 26. It says, early in the morning, as they were passing by, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. We're going to back up in just a moment and look at that in verse 12. Then Peter remembered, and he said to him, that's a reference to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. And Jesus replied to them, have faith in God. Doesn't seem like kind of an interesting reaction to Peter's statement, right? He says, you know, have faith in God. I assure you, if anyone says to the mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. That's a little troubling, right? You know, we'll get there in just a moment as well. Therefore, I tell you, all the things you pray and ask for, believe that you have received them, and you'll have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you your wrongdoing. But if you don't forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your wrongdoing. Now, some of you will notice that there was that verse 26 is in parentheses. And that's because there's some question as to whether or not that particular verse was original in Mark or if it was transported in from other, play, other gospels, Matthew and Luke in particular, where the, that phrase is connected with this teaching of Jesus. And so they said, well, you know, maybe they just kind of got left out by accident, so they added it in. So it's biblical, but it may just not have necessarily belonged in this particular teaching of Jesus in Mark chapter 11. Now, this, this passage of Scripture is kind of troubling for a number of things, and some of it is the, the audacity of the impact that prayer can have, right? Just ask for it, really believe it, and you're going to have it. And a lot of you are thinking, the Powerball on Wednesday, $650 million. I just want to really believe it, and I'm going to have it, right? You know, that's, that, you know that's, it's not what it means. So let's back up a little bit. What, what is, what's, what's happening in this text? And some of it we have to figure out from, chapter, from verses 12 through for 14. In the middle of the week, the last week of the life of Christ, there was a big event that took place. Which we, sell, which we remember and talk about, but it, it, Jesus kind of foreshadowed it in an in interaction with a fig tree, of all things. Then he acted it out in the cleansing of the temple, which occurs in the middle of chapter 11. But let's read verses 12 through 14 together. It says, the next day, so Jesus has made his way into Jerusalem through the triumphal entry, through the Palm Sunday event. They've gone back out to an area that's known as Bethany. And the next day, they're making their way back into the city, back to the temple. And he says, and he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree with leaves, he went to find if there was anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. I mean, this took place in March or April, right? And, 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 um, and, uh, fig trees only produce from May to November. That's a, actually a long season to produce fruit. I mean, wouldn't our apple growers around here love for their apple trees to produce apples for, for six months, right? For, from May to November, they would have figs on them. And, but there's, there's no, no figs on it because it's, it's, it's not the season for figs. And so Jesus, and some people will look at this and say, well, he kind of threw a little bit of a messianic temper tantrum here, right? You know, he he goes up to a tree that shouldn't have any fruit on it, and when it doesn't have any fruits on it, he he says, well, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples, they overheard this. So 
So this wasn't a little whisper. They heard it. I think they also grasped it. And so that's why when they come back the next day and Peter says, look at that tree. You, you said yesterday nobody's ever going to eat from it. Now it's, 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 it's withered from the roots up. And you might think, well, Jesus is really just having, like, again, one of these son of a God bad days, right? Because not only is he mad at the fig tree and he curses it and it withers, but, but, but then he goes into the city and he gets into the temple and they're just doing the stuff that's necessary to make the temple work, right? You know, that you can only use certain types of money when you gave an offering in the temple. So if you came from Galilee or you came from some other part of the world, you had to change your money at the gate and turn it into the coins that they would accept in the temple before you could make your offering. So there's guys there doing currency exchange. If you were going to offer up, like Jesus' parents did when they took him up, if you were going to offer up a couple of doves as a thank you gift to God for the child that he's brought into your life, well, you know, you had to, you had to get a dove. So that there were guys there who would sell you the sacrifices, whether it was... A, you know, a, a dove or some other kind of forms of thing. So there's this business going on, this commerce. Jesus gets there and he's looking at it and says, you've taken a house of prayer and you've turned it into a den of thieves and he's throwing the tables over and driving everybody else and then he's having this interaction with the leaders of the temple and then he leaves. So you could say, you know, you, know, you need a vacation. You're just stressed out, Jesus. You need but, but all of this is a message. And so they come back the next day and, and Peter looks at the, at, the, at the tree, and it's just withered. I mean, not just like some leaves turned brown and fell off. I was sitting this morning kind of reviewing my notes, and there were leaves blowing off of my front yard. I'm thinking, oh, no, winter's coming. You know, but it's not just like a few leaves, but from the ground up, from the roots up, it just withered. This tree just, just died. And, and Peter's reaction is... is is more than just like, hey, wow, isn't that pretty cool? Look, look what happened to you. you know, it, it's more than that. Because I think in the midst of Peter's response is, is this rabbi, you know, look, you know, the, the, the fig tree's totally gone. And see, because Peter gets some stuff that you and I don't get. One of those is that in the Old Testament, a fig tree was often used to symbolize the people of God, the promise, the promised people of God. It was used to represent Israel. You could look at Micah. You could look at Jeremiah, some other places where, where um, the people of God are depicted as being a fig tree. And so Peter's astute to know enough that when Jesus goes up to this fig tree and he finds that there's no fruit on it and he curses it and it withers, that it's actually a picture of what's going to happen to the nation. It's a picture of what's going to happen to the temple. It's a picture of what's going to happen to the way that they relate to God and worship God. And Peter's like, Rabbi, look, the tree's already gone. And, and he's also astute enough to know that God doesn't always just communicate through words. Sometimes he communicates through symbolic acts. And this is one of those. This is actually a prophecy, if you will, a prediction of Jesus that, that the temple... And the way of worshiping God through the temple is actually going to be destroyed. And within 40 years of this event, the temple is torn down in A.D. 70. And it's never rebuilt even to this day. Never been restored. And, and just, just to give you an example of some of the ways that God has communicated through symbolic acts in the past, I mean, there's a number of different things. I mean, if you go read the book of Hosea, small little prophetic book, just, just a few chapters, God said, I want your life to symbolize a message. 
So this is what I want you to do. He tells Hosea, I want you to go marry a prostitute. And she's going to be unfaithful to you over and over and over and over again. And that's going to symbolize the way that the people of God have committed adultery against me, spiritual adultery against, against me over and over and over and over again. And so Hosea goes and marries a woman by the name of Gomer. What a, what a name, right? You know, that's bad enough, right? You know, Gomer Pyle, you can see that because, you know, it's a little bit Gomer for, anyway, so bad pastor, stay on, stay on focus. You know, and, um, and, and there's this message that flows out of the experience that Hosea has. His life is the message. There's another scenario in Adam, which, you know, that's, that's probably the most painful one, the, the most embarrassing one. And I, you know what? I, if, you need to, if you need something to thank God for, when you wake up in the morning, you can thank God, thanks for not giving me the job you gave Isaiah. Because, you know, there was a time in Isaiah's life, you know, the, used to be there was a, a major superpower in the world. It was called Assyria. And... And kind of like at the next level down was Egypt. And Egypt was using the nation of Judah as kind of like a buffer zone, as a puppet to keep the, keep the Assyrians from coming in. And so God predicts, God prophesizes, he, he exercises his sovereignty for there to be the downfall of Egypt because of the way they're manipulating, right, the, the, the people of God. And so he, said, he says to Isaiah, so his plan is he's going to have the Assyrians come down. They're going to march through Palestine. They're going to conquer Egypt, and they're going to carry them away. And when they carry them away, the Egyptians are going to be naked and shoeless. They're going to be barefoot and bare-butted, bare right, both of them, right, you know, both together. And so God says, Isaiah, I want you to communicate this message. So, so here's my job for you, and this is what you can be thankful God's never asked you to do. He says, I want you to take off your shoes, and I want you to take off all your clothes, and I want you to walk around naked for three years as a prophecy of what I'm going to do to Egypt. Aren't you glad that's not your job? I mean, so God acts out these symbolic messages. Peter and the troops, they look at this, and they say, the cursing of this tree and its withering is a message that God is sending. And is that, that our whole way of life, our whole way of relating to God is the, the roof's going to fall in. And so when Peter looks at Jesus, it's, it's just, hey, look, look, cool. You know, it's, it's not, that's, that's not his reaction. He's just like, Rabbi, look, it, it's, it's withered from the roots up. And he's like, what are we going to do? Because our whole way of connecting with you, our whole way of worshiping God, our, our whole way of finding forgiveness and being able to connect and to pray, and us, all of that's going to go. What, what, what are we supposed to do when the roof falls in on the way we think we can do life with God? For some of us, that roof has already fallen. We've realized, you know what? I don't care how good I am from now going forward. I still can't make up for the fact that I cheated on my 10th grade English paper. And therefore, I'm not perfect, and I can't be in God's presence. And you think, what, what am I going to do? Because I can never be good enough to be in God's presence. And that roof has already fallen in. And, and there's also the dilemma of, you know, they're, they're looking at this tree and they're saying, well, you know, it looks healthy, but it's fruitless. And part of the challenge that Jesus said, you know, the, 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 the nation of Israel, the temple in particular, it, it looks like it's flourishing, but it's really not producing any spiritual fruit. There's nothing there. 
And, and sometimes we look, we look at our lives and say, you know what, I, I, boy, I spent a lot of time, I'm working six days a week, and I'm trying to be good to my family, and this and that. But, but am I really ever producing anything that's going to matter for eternity? Is there anything that's ever going to really survive that kind of test? And the disciples say, you know, what, what about our lives? Are they going to matter for anything? If we don't have a way to connect with God... And, we're, and, and, and are we really, you know, are we just kind of going through the motions and we think this is all going to, you know, and, and, and yet there's really no fruit, it's just all leaves? And, and so there's a, there's a sense of, of, give us a word. And Jesus' response is this. He says, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Now, it's appropriate for us to talk about the fact that we need to believe in God. We need to believe in God the revelation that God has given us, the way that he showed himself to us, and that's pers- particularly in his son, Jesus Christ, who came into the world, fully the son of God, lived a perfect life, died on the cross in our place, all those kinds of good things. But part of what I want to challenge you guys with is sometimes we have faith in our faith in God. And that's not the same thing as having faith in God. We, you know, we, we, we said, well, I know what I do you know, you know I, I read my Bible a lot. I try to be good to people. I do this, I do that, and I don't do this or whatever. And we have faith in our faith in God. And that's not the same thing as having faith in God. Two very different things. And what Jesus tells them is that the kind of faith in God that will really kind of, will, will, that is the kind of faith that will make sure that we have a way to connect with God and that it will actually produce the kind of spiritual fruit in our lives is we can tell if we have that kind of faith by how we pray. You see, it's, it, when, we realize, when we have faith in God, that our faith is directed towards him, what we recognize is that when we pray, the one who's sovereign, creator, all-powerful, all-knowing does stuff. And that's the most vital time that we have in our day. But when we just kind of push prayer off to the side and say, you know what, i got to get all this stuff done, this and that, what we're really saying is, yeah, I have this faith about God, but I don't really have faith in God. And one of the things that is a, a, a pulse, a, a, your blood pressure, to use Sean's illustrations earlier about what he was doing, that tells you about how vital your faith is, is just take a look at your prayer life. If your prayer life is like, well, I'll get to it when I have some time, really it's, what it's saying is that you don't really have faith in God. You, you like the idea of God. You like a God who loves you. You have like a, the idea of having a place to go when you die. But in terms of God being the one who changes and does things, you don't really have a faith in God. You just, you just, have, you just love this idea of having a God who loves you and the da-da-da-da, those kinds of things. But then you get the whole thing about this idea of, of, of you know, if, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, what, what does that really mean, right? I mean, if faith in God is supposed to produce the kind of prayer life that sees things happen because we're praying to a God who can make things happen, well, what, what kind of things should we see kind of happening? And, and I got to tell you, this kind of a passage really always always makes me unsettled, right? Because it, it, 
It makes it sound like, you know what, if we can just get convinced enough that we're going to win the Powerball on Wednesday, it's going to happen, right? You know, if you ask God and you believe it in your heart and you drive out all the doubt, you know, there's, that somehow you're just going to have it. That's not what this passage is teaching. You know, um, and, and so, let me give you a personal experience that always sobers me when I come to this passage of Scripture. And then also let me just give you, I think, as an example of why this is not taking this literally in terms of moving mountains, like the miracles of the stuff that we want is not what Jesus is really talking about. First personal story, when I was in college, I was attending a small church up in, in Lewiston, Maine, where I was going to school, and, and there, was, there was a woman in our church, an older woman, who had a son about my age, and he was just starting to try to figure out who Jesus was and what does faith mean and how do you walk with God and that kind of stuff. And, and he had managed to get himself a job, and he needed some transportation. So his mother came to a passage like this and said, you just need to be very specific about the kind of transportation you want, and God's going to give it to you. So, you know, and, and so he, he went through this journey of figuring, all right, you know what, what I really want is a motorcycle. Now, we're in Maine, right? You need four wheels for half the year, right? But he really wanted a motorcycle, right? So he's praying that God would give him a particular brand of motorcycle, a certain size, a certain color on a certain day. And, he, he, and he's trying to drive out all the diet and doubt and be absolutely certain of it. And the day's coming, the day's coming, and then he doesn't get his motorcycle. I mean, I, I really think it, kind of the expectation was going to wake up in the morning, open the, the curtains, and, and it was going to be sitting in the driveway. And this kid was devastated spiritually. So this stuff doesn't work. You know, and, and, and I don't think that that's what Jesus means by this text at all. I mean, come on. I mean, if, if Jesus really meant so we could just say to this mountain, go move, I mean, you know, well, you know what we would do? We would form the Hope Chapel Real Estate Company, right? We'd go buy 1,000 acres that's landlocked in the middle of central Massachusetts. We'd buy it for pennies on the dollar. Then we'd all pray that God would take eastern Massachusetts, move it to western Pennsylvania, and we'd have seacoast property, and we'd all be rich, right? I mean, that, that, that's not what Jesus means by this. But what, when you use the idea of a mountain, that's where the temple was on the top of a mountain. And he says, you know, the mission... The challenge of connecting to God, of having a relationship with God, being the person that God wants you to be, being able to spend, when you pray about those things, God's always going to answer. When, when, you're, when you're struggling with a difficulty in your life, maybe it's stress at work or you've got a, a difficulty with health or whatever, and you're really just struggling to be at peace and to be a person of joy, you pray about those things, God's going to move that mountain. When if you're if you're an extreme introvert and every time you read the passage of scripture says you are the light of the world go let your light shine and it just makes you cringe because like I, I just can't do that I don't even like people you know and it, guess what God can answer that prayer and He does answer that prayer so when 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 these prayers line up with the things that are critical to the mission of being able to connect with God and be the person that God wants you to be and those things are always God's will for your life. And as John teaches us in his letter in 1 John, he says, you know, when you ever ask for anything that's in accord to God's will, you, you have it. God's will is always for you to be connected to him by faith in Christ and to become and to keep becoming the person God's intended for you to be. When you're praying about those things, this mountain's going to be moved. The temple was going to be destroyed. Their way of connecting with God was going to be removed. But Jesus said, have faith. Because when you pray, 
you're going to be able to connect with God, and he's going to fulfill that mission of you being able to be his children and to be the people who live as you go forward. And you're going to, you're going to see that not only in your drive to pray, but you're also going to see that it's going to change the way to relate to other people. You're going to have people in your life that are going to be really difficult to forgive, people who just get underneath your skin, and because God has forgiven you, you're going to say, I need to get up off my, in this particular case, they're standing in prayer, so you know what, I need, to, I need to leave this place, I need to go, I need to forgive, and i got to come back and connect. God's going to change the way you relate to other people, and, and, and he really will. So when these guys are saying, Jesus, our, our whole way, our whole basis of confidence, of knowing who God is, how to connect with God, and how to live with God is being taken out from underneath us because it's withering from the roots up. Jesus says, you can connect with God, and you can live the life that God wants for you now and forever just by having faith in God then believing and asking being prayerful for God to complete that mission within you, all the things that are consistent with being the child of God. And when you do that, you're going to have what you ask for. Boy, there, there are still pieces of this that we haven't really processed today. And, and that's where the, the messiness comes. Some of you are going to, oh, boy, you know. And those are great questions. I encourage you to keep asking them. But here, here's, here's what I want to challenge you to, to think about today. How, would, how do you personally feel about your faith in God? On a scale of 1 to 10, where do you put it? Do you, do you really know the God that you supposedly have faith in, or do you just not have faith at all? Where, where do you stand with that? That's a question that every single one of us has to answer. Secondly, what does your prayer life say about what you believe God can do and wants to do in your journey? And how is your faith transforming your relationships with other people, especially the people who are hard to relate to that are in your life? You see, when the roof falls in and we really just don't know how to connect with God anymore, we don't know how to be the people God wants us to be, all those kind of things, Jesus said, those are the moments where you're going to have faith in God, ask God to work, and see him move. And that's what he's asking us to do today. Because really, prayer is the way that we follow after God in faith. And that's the heart and soul of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. You know, Father, as I, as I studied this passage this week, I was really confronted by the, just the audacious claims that Jesus makes for prayer. If we ask and we believe that it's ours. So the tr- tremendous temptation to do exactly what Jesus cleansed out of the temple the day before. To take the things of God and making it about us. H- how can I use this to my advantage? How can I find a way to have it be about me instead of about you? God, I pray that somehow or another you'd use a word today so that our faith is about you, that our prayers about you and your kingdom and your glory, that our relationships 
are about reflecting who you are and the things that you want to do. God, make this about you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We always conclude our service with just an opportunity to uh, sing to the Lord, and it's a chance for you to, um, to give your offering if you'd like to do so. It's also, we've provided a way for you to share prayer requests for us, with us from, um, on your handout. We'd love for you to place those in there. We're going to stand and sing together, and, um, and then Ken's going to come and conclude our service after we sing. So let's stand and sing together as we conclude our service.